Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, lovely to have you in church this morning, and you're very welcome on this St. Patrick's Day. Cead Mila Fulcha. Um, that's all the Irish you're going to get today from me. Um, but you're very welcome, and it's lovely to have you. And I want to say a very special welcome. We were um, uh, to the Reverend uh, Dr. Godfrey Brown. He's actually the very Reverend uh, Dr. Godfrey Brown. And the reason that we call him the very Reverend is that he was moderator of the Presbyterian Church. And when you're moderator, you get called Right Reverend. And when you're an ex-moderator, then you get called very reverent. And it's a real privilege for me because Godfrey was my minister when I was a young boy. Um, and uh, it was through Godfrey that I came, uh, I suppose, through the ministry of the church that I came to know about Jesus and, uh, you know, was uh, confirmed and uh, brought into communicant membership and uh, supported uh, throughout my time. 18 years, and then I left, really, Valley Castle at that time, but it's lovely uh, to see Godfrey again and to share fellowship with him. Uh, so I just lead the early part of the service, and then Godfrey's going to come and talk to us about St. Patrick. He is a historian by trade, and uh, looking forward to what he has to say to us about uh, St. Patrick. Um, I was reading the Irish Times this morning, and uh, the, the sort of thinking a new part at the back page on the Saturday um, and I didn't agree with the theology of it, but what he was saying was that Patrick was a transformed man. And it was because he was a transformed man that he was able then to bring a message that transformed Ireland. And I was reading this week in, the, in uh, Colossians, and Paul summarizes the gospel in seven words. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's the reality of what transformed Patrick, and it's what transforms us. It's not about us. It's about Christ in you. And therefore, we have his character, we have his presence, we have his help, and in that, we have a glory and a hope of glory in eternity. It's just awesome. And so we're going to stand and we're going to sing um, a Keith Getty song. We've tried to, to choose Irish writers. <clears throat> well, let's join together in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that uh, as we come to you this morning that we will be able to lift our eyes from ourselves to the one who is the author of creation. And Father, I pray that as we just take this moment to speak with you, that we will uh, be able to forget the reality of our lives just for a, a moment and be able to think about you in your entirety. And Father, we, when we think about you and we look up, we often think of the skies and we think of the stars and the sun and the moon. And we think, Father, that you created them by the power of your word. And that, Father, that you placed them at the right place, in the right position, the right distance from the earth. And I've just watched the beauty of the Porto um, shoreline. And even though there's no wind, the waves are large because of the effect of the moon. And, Father, how wonderfully you've uh, created it, not just for beauty's sake, but for practical sake. <coughs> and for the reality of what that does in terms of cleansing and of refreshing. And Father, it just is a moment of the brilliance of you as creator. And yet, Father, you in yourself are glorious. You are wonderful in every way. And you are trustworthy, and you are faithful, and you are good, and you are kind. And you didn't keep those things to yourself. You wanted us to know that goodness and kindness and love. And so, Father, even though we had rejected you, you came to us in your Son. And, Father, you gave us the opportunity to have relationship with you through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, Father, we are a blessed people. 
And we thank you for that amazing, amazing love. And Father, as we contemplate you and as, as it where we gaze at your brilliance and your wonder, we are, Lord, just amazed. Because again, when we now turn ourselves to our own hearts, we realize so often, Father, the poverty of our thinking, the selfishness of our thinking, Father, even the awfulness of our thoughts. And Father, the poverty of our actions and how little we love and how little we give. And Father, so we simply are amazed that you loved us and that you sent your son to die for us. And we ask that you will forgive us and that you will cleanse us and that you will help us to know you in a real, tangible, personal way. And Father, we thank you for that privilege. And Father, we thank you that you transformed Patrick, that Father, though he came to us initially as a slave, that he came back as a missionary because you had replaced that hatred in his heart with love and love for you and love for us. And Father, we thank you that in his legacy that we stand here today and that we stand here in the legacy of others who built this church in the 1800s and the legacy of many generations that have carried on the witness to the glory and to the honor of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, Father, it is our privilege to be here on St. Patrick's Day. It is our privilege to look up for a moment and to just to know how good you are. And, Father, it is our uh, privilege as well, just to know how much we're loved, how deeply we are forgiven, and, Father, how much you really care for us as your people. So help us and help Godfrey as he comes. And, Father, we pray that you will continue to be with us and bless us in this service this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we have um, two readings today, so let's turn in our Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, this is Isaiah's commission, his calling from God, and it should be on page 690 in your Bibles, but it's in the Old Testament, so Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. Okay, very good. So, so Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. This is God's word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, boys and girls, if you want to come to the front as normal to these front seats, um, the Reverend Brown is going to come and speak to you just now. And while you're all coming up to the front seats, let me just say how wonderful it is to be here today and to have this opportunity of leading worship 
yet again at Adelaide Road. I've known this church over a good many years. Both Brian Steller and Campbell Willie grew up in Daddy Castle congregation for part of their lives. Where the trouble is. So it's just wonderful being here. I've, I've known Sam since he was a wee boy, and I watched him grow up, and we're very proud of him in Ballycastle, and his mummy is a good member of our church, and he's going to travel back up today to speak in a church beside Ballycastle this, this evening, and uh, I'm getting a lift with him, and I'm looking forward to the chat on the way. Sorry about my voice, I've got a cold this morning, but I think it's going to be all right. Now, is everybody up who wants to come up? That's it? That's the whole lot of you? Well, it's lovely to meet you all. And I, I know a lot about you because I get a letter regularly from Sam telling me about him and his family and about the church family here. And so I feel very much part of your congregation this morning. Now, at this part of the service, <clears throat> I actually don't want to talk about St. Patrick, but I want to tell you about something dreadful that happened to me just a few weeks ago. But let me tell you the good bit of the story, first of all. I had to go to Belfast one day. I live away up in the north of Ireland, the very far north, just a few miles across the water from Scotland, and we can see buildings and things over there. But I had to go to Belfast one day, and I take the train from Ballymoney, and I go down to Belfast. But I said to my wife, Margaret, what about coming with me today? My meetings shouldn't last too long. And I'm sure you would love a run around the shops. Ladies all like a run around the shops, don't they? And I said to her, you come with me on the train, and I'll go to my meeting, and when I'm finished with the meeting, I'll ring you on your phone, and we'll meet up and have lunch together. Well, she was delighted, and we traveled up on the train, and I went off to my meeting, and she went off to her shops, and the meeting wasn't too long, and I rang her, and met up with her, and did a bit more shopping, and then we ran into an old friend, and we had a great chat, and then we went to have our lunch together, and that was just wonderful, because we knew we wouldn't get the next train, and it was an hour until the one after it. So we were able to relax, have a lovely lunch, a lovely chat together, and dander over to the station and get the train back to Ballymoney. Everything was going just fine. When we got to Ballymoney, Margaret said to me, would you mind driving across to Tesco's? You've Tesco's down here, don't you? Mm -hmm. 
yeah, well, we've won in Ballymoney. And uh, she said, I have a wee message I want to do. It'll only be a moment. And so I drove her over, and she went in, and she got her message, and she came out all smiles. And then things started to go wrong. My car, it wouldn't start. I tried to get it to go, and it made rude noises for a bit, but no. I knew that my battery was dead. And it was Friday afternoon, about five o'clock. Everything was closed. I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I, I got out of the car, and I went into Tesco's, and I went to the customer services desk. And I told them what had happened to me. And the nice lady behind the desk said, Don't worry, we'll get you sorted out. Wow. So then she got a big man, and he went round the shop, and he spotted somebody he knew who had a jump lead. And they came out to my car, and they drove his car over beside it, and we plugged it all in. But we must have got it wrong, because nothing happened. The car was still dead. So I thanked the man, and I came back in, and I said to customer services, I'm going to have to ring the AA and see if they'll come out and fix me. So I rang them up, and they helped me with all the addresses I needed and all the directions, and we rang the AA. And they said, yep, yeah, we'll come along. We'll be with you in about an hour. And so they said to me at the desk, don't worry, we have a very nice room where the staff go when they're having their rest times. And you and your wife, come up there and we'll make you a nice cup of tea. But just before we went up there, a lady came to speak to me. She was just a customer in the shop, but she said, I heard about your problem. Actually, I live about 10 minutes from here, and my husband is a motor mechanic, and I'll get him to come down and have a look at your car. So Margaret and I went up, and we were enjoying a lovely cup of tea, and there was a knock at the door, and it was the lady. And she said, my husband's outside, and he's got your car going again. Wow, wow, was I pleased. So we went out, and sure enough, the car was working. He said, I stopped it and started it again, and it's going fine. Well, I said to him, I'm going to have to go in and collect my wife, and I'm going to have to phone the AA and tell them not to bother. Can you keep it going for a minute till I come back? Yeah, he said, I'll see to that. So I went in, and I got my wife, and we said dozens of thank yous to all sorts of nice people, and we came out, and we thanked the lady and the gentleman, and I drove off home a very happy bunny. I'm not going to forget that day for a long time. Why, why do you think I'll remember it? Would it be because of the car? No, not really. I remember that day because of all the kindness that was shown to me. Wonderful kindness. 
And it reminded me that Jesus was kind. And he wants his followers to be kind too. St. Patrick was kind. There were times he had to be tough, living in a very tough Ireland. But he was also kind and gentle. Listen to this verse. It's a verse I love. It's from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. And this is what it says. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God is so kind. He has forgiven all our sins. He has given the Lord Jesus to be our Savior, to die for us on the cross and to rise again. God has done all that for us. How does he want us to behave? It says here, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. I'll never forget the kindness I received at Tesco's that day from all those people. And on this St. Patrick's Day, let's remember that Patrick was known for his gentleness and kindness and love of people. And that's how Jesus wants you and me to live. Someone once said, when I asked the question, why should we be kind? And he said, because then other people might be kind to you. That's true, but it's not the real reason. The real reason is the joy we get when we see the surprise on somebody else's face and the chance, perhaps, to let them know that we've been kind because our Lord Jesus is kind to all of us. Now we're going to sing in just a moment. I think you're going to introduce that, are you? <laughs> Thank you, Godfrey. Well, we're going to sing What a Friend We Have in Jesus. So let's. Well, boys and girls, you're free to go. Um, there is a normal Sunday special today, so, but there's no K2. So if you're in K2, you are to stay in church. And uh, you'll hear all about St. Patrick in a moment or two. And there is a creche if anybody uh, has children under three that they would like to take down as well. So, folks, uh, if you have your announcement sheets, let's just work through these. Again, just to say that you're very welcome. If you're visiting with us, you're especially welcome. Uh, do sign our visitor's book. Uh, do stay for tea and coffee. And uh, it'd be good to get to know you uh, after the service. So, next Sunday... Uh, really, we're in Lent, of course, and we're going to look at a series called uh, Why Did Jesus Have to Die? Um, and I'm basing that on a little booklet that I have, and I've purchased a hundred of them. And so next week, we every family should be able to get one and bring it home with them as well. And there are five talks in that, uh, five chapters in that little book. It's only 90 pages long, and I'm hoping that each uh, family will read it. Uh, because we do need to know why uh, Easter is important and particularly why Jesus uh, had to die. Um, so, as they say, there's one for everyone in the audience, and I hope that you will want to come and hear about that. It's also communion. Uh, we moved our communion to that day as well, so we'll, we'll be looking at the cross, and it's appropriate that we have communion as well. And it's also uh, RTE broadcast day. Uh, so uh, we don't want you to stay at home and watch Art uh, Adelaide Road on in, in the television. Uh, we want you to set your recorder and to come to church. And if you miss it, if you don't have a recorder, you can watch it on the iPlayer for six weeks. Now, 
That could be purgatory for some, but there we go. Uh, so it's the service. Do pray for it. Um, uh, we're looking at really Psalm um, 139 uh, there, and we're really trying to say our security. And people are really looking for security. And we were trying to say that Jesus is our security. Um, and the kids were great, and Katie did a bit, and hopefully it'll come across well. It's very hard to tell how good it is when you're recording it. But that's on next Sunday, so it's a busy uh, Sunday morning for us. We have prayer ministry at the front, so if you would like to be prayed for, there will be people at the front uh, to pray for you. Uh, the Kirk session meets this Tuesday. Um, International Cafe on Friday as normal. The Art of Marriage course is on Thursday, um, and that completes the course. Uh, so that's a new day. So Thursday, the 21st of March, the SALT project meets this Saturday as well. And Living Well is then on the week after that, on Tuesday the 26th. Uh, Bible reading notes, really, you should be doing this, or I'll have already done this. Um, I knew I would be speaking on this, so I did mine yesterday. Um, and so the order is coming to me, um, just so that I could say that I did do it. And it didn't take very long. Um, I just went online and ordered the ones that I have, and they are uh, coming for the next year. Uh, as well. Over the page, you'll see that we have our annual general meeting. Um, we've, we've decided to try this on Sunday morning, the 7th of April, uh, after the service. Um, we're not actually having a break after the service. We're going to go from the service then, I suppose, five minutes, and then we'll go straight into it uh, to encourage uh, as many people as possible. You will be emailed, if you're a member, uh, the, uh, all the reports in good time. Uh, we want you to read those reports. Uh, if you have questions, uh, we come. It is technically a business meeting to ratify the uh, accounts of the church, uh, but also it is an opportunity for you to ask questions. I suppose we'll want to keep it as short as we can, um, but certainly we'll note those questions if we don't have enough time to answer them there and then, and we can get back uh, with those questions later on. So, uh, do note that and do plan to attend that as well. Uh, just to say, I suppose in closing, just that Karen and I had a good time in Porto. Um, we were able to see the folks in the church there. Uh, the weather was good. Um, it was nice and sunny, 16 degrees every day. Um, and it was lovely, really. We would call it a nice summer's day. They called it quite a cold day. Um, and it was lovely. Lovely to see the, the folks there, to meet the new couple, the Humphreys. Uh, the church is growing uh, to attend the prayer meeting, um, and Leo and Liddy uh, really looked after us uh, exceptionally well. They gave up their bed for us, uh, they hired a car for us, um, and they were very, very good to us, and they send you their love and greetings, and are very grateful for all the support that we give to them, both financially and in prayer. So thank you for your prayers and continue to pray for the folks in Porto. So we had to sing, didn't we? Because it's St. Patrick's Day, Be Thou My Vision. I suppose this is the most well-known of Irish uh, songs. It was written in the 8th century, probably about 300 years after Patrick first came to Ireland. So let's stand and sing this lovely hymn. Our second reading is taken from the New Testament, from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16, and we're reading verses 6 to 10. There's a misprint in the uh, order. I think maybe I gave it wrongly to them, but it's uh, verses 6 to 10 of Acts chapter 16, and it's on page 1111. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia, and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia 
standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. May God bless to us the reading of his holy word, and to his name be glory and praise. I've already said thank you to Sam. Let me also say thank you to Karen for her very gracious hospitality. It's been lovely staying with them in the manse overnight, and I was looked after like royalty and had a wonderful time, and uh, I'm traveling up north with them later on. Right at the outset, I have a confession to make. When I was studying history at Queen's in Belfast a lifetime ago, we had a teacher who had a very clever trick. When someone asked him an awkward question, he would say to them rather grandly, Oh, that's not my period. And that got him out of it very nicely. Well, I've got to say to you this morning, this is not my period. I have to admit that the Celtic Church in Ireland is a subject on which I have only a very general knowledge. And so I'll not be advancing any new theories about St. Patrick this morning, nor will I be casting any light on the points debated by patrician scholars over recent years. All I want to do this morning and I hope I'll do it in a way that will grab your attention. I want to look at the things that are fairly generally known about Patrick and see what they have to teach us about doing Christ's work in our day as Patrick did it in his and try to discover what is God's vision for mission in Ireland in our time. I want to take three simple headings for my talk this morning, and I want to begin, perhaps rather obviously, with the man God called. There is a striking similarity in this passage, which we read from Acts 16, and some of the things we read about St. Patrick, in his confession, one of his books, one which is genuinely his own work. By the way, that word confession doesn't mean that he's pouring out his sins in this book and telling us what a bad boy he has been. It's more of a profession of his life story. It's a little autobiographical work in which he tells the tale of God's goodness to him, Patrick. And it was written in and around 450 AD, a long time ago. But let me leave Patrick for a moment and take Paul first. Paul, who wrote and was involved in, he was involved in, Acts chapter 16. You know, of course, that Paul was an apostle of Christ. But before he'd been an apostle of Christ, he was Saul from Tarsus, a proud Pharisee, an able teacher of the Jewish law, and an enemy of the gospel, and a persecutor, a savage persecutor of Christian believers. And Paul was on a journey to the city of Damascus where there were many Christians. And he was going there to root them out and take them to prison and, if possible, do them to death. But as he neared the city, he had a dramatic conversion experience when the risen Lord Jesus appeared to him and talked to him 
And when he was temporarily struck blind, they led him into the city to a house in Straight Street, still a feature of the great city of Damascus. And around that same time, Jesus appeared again in a vision to a Christian believer who lived in Damascus, a man called Ananias. And he said to him, Ananias, I want you to go to Straight Street, to such and such a house, and you'll find Saul of Tarsus there. And he's praying for all his worth. Can you imagine how Ananias felt? He must have been scared out of his mind. Is this a trap? Saul of Tarsus. I can't talk to that man. He'll eat me up. He'll kill me. But God said to him, This man is a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Patrick, too, was a man of God. His confession tells us that he was only a lad of 16 when a group of raiders swooped on his home farm and shipped him off to Ireland. Not quite sure where he lived. Nobody has quite identified the place. But it was certainly on the west coast of Britain, possibly southwest Scotland, fairly likely Cumbria, but maybe on down the coast into Wales or into uh, the east coast of southern England. We're not at all sure, but he was taken off along with thousands of other people, snatched and sold as a slave. Patrick had a Christian background. His father had been a deacon in the church and his grandfather a priest. But young Patrick had no thought of God. Like many Ulster people, I was brought up to believe that he looked after sheep on the slopes of Slemish in County Antrim. His confession, however, makes clear that the scene of his slavery, certainly at the beginning, was in the west of Ireland close to the Western Sea. He lived a tough life in all kinds of weather and faced many dangers. By now, he realized the ugliness of the old faith in Ireland. They think that his master was actually a druid of the old religion. Patrick, by now, had turned to God, desperately trying to remember the scriptures he had learned as a boy, giving himself many times daily to prayer. We know very little detail of those early years until God appeared to him and told him that he would, would be shortly escaping from Ireland. We don't know exactly how that all happened. Perhaps he had other points of slavery or service as he crossed back towards the Eastern Sea. And one day he got a message that the boat was now ready. What boat? Where? But he went, and there was a boat just pulling offshore, and he hailed it and begged them to take him. And at last, he persuaded them to change their mind 
and he was carted off, we don't know where, probably somewhere, either in Gaul or more likely on the east coast of Britain. It was a remarkable story in which he was already showing great qualities of leadership and a maturing faith. In the end, he reached his own home again. But deep in his heart, he wanted to learn more about Christ. He wanted to serve Christ. And it appears that he had some training in monasteries probably on the continent. Sometimes the question is asked, was he ever fully appointed and ordained a bishop? Things were not as set in those days as they were later to become. In another of his genuine writings, the letter to the soldiers of Caroticus, Patrick firmly lay claim to this title and says that it had been conferred on him by God. One thing is abundantly clear. Patrick was a man of prayer, a man of simple faith, yet immersed in the scriptures. He was a humble and ordinary man who was raised up by God to preach the gospel in Ireland. Was he the first Christian in Ireland? Certainly not. Traders and travelers came to this country, many of them bearing a Christian faith. Was he the first missionary to Ireland? Probably not. We know that Palladius was appointed to be a missionary to the Scots, which may well have meant the Irish. We don't know much about Palladius. Patrick barely mentions anything else of other mission work before him, but there are hints of it in his writing. But the sheer quality and power of Patrick and of what he did for God means that he is rightly honored and remembered as the patron saint of the Irish. The man God called. Let's just stop there for a moment and remind ourselves that God still calls people today. He has much work he wants us to do for him. But God cannot use any of us unless we are prepared to hand over our lives fully and completely to him. We have to give him, yes, ourselves. No holding back. Jesus said, If any one would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's Jesus' invitation. Not an easy calling, but a wonderful calling. Jesus wants every part of your life and mine. And to give him anything less would simply not be worthy of Jesus, whom the New Testament tells us loved us and gave himself for us. So we start with the man God called and the reminder that God is calling you and me to be apostles to the Ireland of our time for him. Notice, secondly, <clears throat> the means God used. 
God spoke to Paul and Ananias and Patrick by means of a vision in the night. Indeed, it may well have been Patrick's recollection of Paul's vision that gave his own experience its stamp of authority and confirmed to him that this really was a message from the Lord. There are so many examples in the Bible of God speaking to people in dreams and visions. In our own time, especially among people who don't have a Bible, or people who have never bothered to read the Bible, we now hear very frequently of God giving his word to people using a vision. Oh yes, we need to test our visions against the teaching of the Word of God. But the really important thing is not the means God uses. For God speaks to his servants in so many different ways. He is infinitely resourceful at getting his will across to us. Perhaps the really important thing is that God set before both Paul and Patrick a need and told them that he wanted them to meet that need. Let me read you a part of Patrick's confession. I saw in the night visions a man whose name was Victoricus, coming, as it were, from Ireland with countless letters. And he gave me one of them, and I read the beginning of the letter, which was entitled, The Voice of the Irish. And while I was reading aloud the beginning of the letter, I thought at that very moment, I heard the voice of them who lived beside the wood of Fuclut, which is nigh unto the western sea. And thus they cried, as with one mouth, We beseech thee, holy youth, to come and walk among us once more. And I was exceedingly broken in heart, and could read no further. And so I awoke. Thanks be to God that after very many years, the Lord granted to them according to their cry. There were to be other visions confirming that first one. And that was how God used the means of a vision to speak to Patrick. God still sets before us today needs. And the need is often part of his call. I don't know whether you've experienced that in your own life so far. Perhaps you hear of something and you say, but I could do that. I could meet that need. I have the right gifts. I have the right qualifications. I've got the time, whatever. Or perhaps you say, I could never do that. I wouldn't be able to say that or go there or speak up for Jesus. And then the thought comes, no, I couldn't do it in my own strength. But if God wants me to do it, then he will equip me and guide me and lead me. You see, the processes going on in our minds once we become aware of the need. 
And so perhaps you begin to pray about it. Maybe you share it with a trusted friend. Ask them, do they think this is God's voice? Is this something they could see you doing? Perhaps you ask them, what do I need to do now? What steps would I need to take? And then perhaps there comes a moment when you say to yourself, God is calling me. So what's the first thing I need to do? What do I need to do now? That's how it works so often. I think of my own call to the Christian ministry. It was very like what I've been describing. But remember this. God doesn't only call people to full-time professional ministry. He does do that. And the church urgently needs ministers, men and women who have heard God's call and in answer to that call, have put themselves forward and been chosen and trained and set apart to proclaim God's word. Our church needs ministers at the moment. We need good ministers. We need godly ministers. We need people who know the world they live in and whom God wants to use. Will you pray, pray earnestly, that God will give us the right ministry for our time? And will you pray that if God should be calling you, he will make that call clear to you? God doesn't only call people to be ministers, he calls people to do all sorts of jobs in all sorts of places. The world is a global village these days. So much of our work is cross-cultural. This congregation so beautifully demonstrates that this morning. This is God's world. And he doesn't always send us to the people next door. He may want you to go somewhere. Do something special for him. Or it may be the folk next door. The folk of this city, of your community. I don't know what it may be. If you think God might have something for you to do, perhaps he makes that thing clear to you. Or perhaps the best thing is to go and talk to your minister and say, I want to do something more for God. I want to be available to God. What do you suggest I might be able to do? What gifts do you think I might have? Start the process. Let God speak to you. Let him tell you what he wants you to do. And then be ready to do it. I wonder, are you open to that vision this morning? In Acts chapter 16, as we read about the call that Paul received, it went on to use these significant words. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We got ready at once. Is that what God is calling you to do this morning? And the means? He might use a vision. He might speak to you through a conversation. He might speak to you through the Bible, through a verse of Scripture. 
and he just might be speaking to you through this morning's sermon. The man God called and the means God used. Let me finish briefly with the miracle God performed. For when we obey God's call, miracles will begin to happen. It's not too much to say that centuries of European Christianity owed their origin, at least in part, to Paul's Macedonian call. Equally, the call of Patrick was a crucial factor in turning pagan Ireland into a land of saints and scholars. And in time, the very mainspring of a missionary movement that transformed Scotland and several areas of mainland Europe. Scripture is full of the call of God. The Bible is a missional book. And Christian history tells the story of what happened when men and women answered God's call and embraced what he was sending us out to do. Sadly, history also tells the tale of how again and again the church has failed to do his bidding. We have closed our eyes to his vision. We have settled for lesser things. Let me finish with one more quote from Patrick's confession. And this quote, actually, I discovered, first of all, not in the confession, but on a statue in the town of Ballina in County Mayo. Fairly recent statue to honour St. Patrick and his link with that part of Ireland. Patrick was always talking about Christians being fishers and hunters for God. Lovely phrase, fishers and hunters for God. And this is what it says. And then I discovered it in the confession. Wherefore, it was exceeding necessary that we should spread our nets so that a great multitude might be taken for God. It was exceeding necessary that we should spread our nets so that a great multitude should be taken for God. And a great multitude was taken for God. There were countless conversions in Ireland in the days of Patrick. Countless local churches set up. The parish of Ramon, in which Ballycastle is situated, was ministered to by St. Ericlesius, a disciple of Patrick. It goes back to those far-off days. As we honor Patrick today, we give thanks to God for his simple faith, for his passionate obedience to God's call. God wants us to be like Patrick for the 21st century Ireland. We still have our share of barbarism, and cruelty, of greed and lust, of pride and unbelief. Ireland needs a rebirth in the Christian faith, a revival of the things of God. That need is part of God's call to you and me. How wonderful it would be if we began to see, as I think we may be seeing,
the first springings of that revival in this land. People turning to God in all sorts of different ways. That's God's call to you and me. Like Isaiah of old, let us say to him, Lord, here am I. Send me. In a moment we'll be following this all up in our prayers, but first let us bring our offering to God. Now let's be seated and bring to God our prayers for others. Lord, on this day we thank you for your servant Patrick, whom you sent so long ago to bring the gospel to the people of Ireland. Thank you that you delivered him from bondage to become a willing captive to Jesus Christ. Thank you for his courage in face of danger, for his love for people, for his gentle spirit that also knew when he needed to be strong. Thank you for the peace in his heart, for how he knew that he was always in your presence, for his deep humility that affirmed others and gave the glory to you. Thank you for the men and women whose lives he touched and who became fellow workers, founding churches and seats of learning to carry the torch of truth throughout this land and far beyond its shores. May the life and influence of Patrick continue to inspire us as we seek to bear witness to the Christian faith in our time, in this land, and wherever you may call us. We pray for our broken world, and especially today, we pray for New Zealand as we think of the terrible deed of wickedness done in that place. Thank you for the strong stand that nation has taken and the waves of horror and resentment of it across the world. Enable us, we pray, to resist evil, to overcome it, and to pray for and work for the protection of ordinary people as they go about their lives. Father, we pray for our world in all its need. We ask that your name may be glorified. Lord, may nations become again in awe of you. May your law be honored in homes throughout the world, in workplaces, wherever people meet. Redeem the life of our world and transform it utterly by the power of your cross. We pray for the church. Make us always faithful to the truth of the gospel and help us also to be open to others that we may share with one another the good gifts you have given to us all. We pray for Adelaide Road, that you will bless this church's life and work, and all that they seek to do for you day by day and week by week. Bless every home and family, 
each member of the congregation and those who are coming into membership as they find a spiritual home here. Bless all that is being done to teach and guide the young and to reach out into the community of this great capital city. As we meet for worship, may we know your presence in our midst and may our daily life bear witness to the influence of this hour of prayer. And finally, let us just in a moment remember in prayer people whom we know with their many different needs. Just a moment of quietness when you may mention names silently before God. Father, we bring before you all who are sick in mind or body, all who suffer pain. Bless those who mourn, those who are distressed because of the hurts of others and the dark mystery of suffering. In face of all that we cannot fathom or understand, help us to hold fast to you and to your wisdom goodness and love, which you have made known supremely in Jesus Christ our Lord. And now to God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be ascribed all glory and praise, now and ever. Amen. We sing together the hymn 541 in our hymn book, but on the screens, I the Lord of Sea and Sky. May the hand of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the shield of God defend us. May the hosts of God guard us against the snares of the evil one and the temptations of the world. May Christ be with us, Christ before us, Christ in us, Christ over us. May thy salvation, Lord, be always ours, this day and forevermore. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you this day and forevermore. Amen.